0: Welcome back to another episode of the Dairy Meets Beef Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Vermeer, and on today's episode we'll be recapping all of our spring activities on both of our farms. We apologize about the delay, but we're excited to get back
1: into the podcasting game. Well, my buckle makes impressions on the inside of her thigh. There are little feathered Indians where we tussle through the night. If I'd known she was religious. Then I wouldn't have came stone to the house of such an angel, fucked up to get back
0: All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Dairy Meets Beef podcast. This is one of your hosts, Jake Vermeer, and I'm joined today with my other host, Lance Nielsen from Nielsen Beef. Um, uh, we apologize for delay in sending out episodes, but uh, I guess we've both been busy or at uh, the uh, podcasting got away from us but uh, Lance how are uh, how are things on the farm and how are you doing I'm doing good thanks
1: Jake how about yourself
0: <laughs> pretty good I uh, I got my haircut but it looks like you're still uh, still looking for a haircut yeah. out there
1: yeah I'm looking pretty crazy actually we uh my sons like to have you know longer hair with wings coming out the sides of their hats and I critic- I'm critical of that and make fun of them and now I'm starting to get that so <laughs> they're quick to point that out to me here that's a busy, busy time of year, so cattle, we end up getting a lot of pairs out and, and breeding stock out to pasture here over the past few days and had a really good rain that we needed in a major way. So yeah, we're kind of, kind of at the end of the real busy season and I guess we got to feel a little bit, uh, take a little breather here while we get ready for everything else.
0: Yeah, so you, uh, I, I did see you on your Facebook, and and for our for our listeners, we're we're gonna this is gonna be a farming rambling podcast. We have got not much structure to this one, so if you're in for a long haul or a nice drive, then, then just stay tuned, and I'm sure we'll get interesting at some point. Um, uh, so I saw that you, Lance, you, uh, you guys shipped out a bunch of cows up north to a custom grazing outfit. So how does that work?
1: Yeah, we shipped a bunch of um, yearling heifers, so they're. No pairs went up north. Just just yearlings, and it's to uh, a custom grazer outfit called Greener greener Pastures Ranching. And he's actually got quite a impressive social media following. He's a
0: mm-hmm.
1: I I don't want to miscategorize him, but I would call him more of a holistic grazer. He does he he really um, you know he he wants to develop the 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 culture the the bug and and yeah, culture you know, in, at, at ground level, using cattle to, to um, you know, improve pastures and, and, and f- you know, basically topsoil through, through cattle versus synthetic fertilizers and stuff. And so he, he does, he, he seems to do a pretty good job. It's my first year with him, but I've been following along and I've got some friends that are, are mutual friends with him and they speak highly of him. So it's, it's pretty interesting. So he actually charges, charges 90 cents a day For a fully supervised yearling pasture and quite honestly, that's a lot cheaper than I can own any grassland around here for even when I factor in, you know, a two and a half hour truck. um, Trip it's. uh, You know, 90 cents a day and I don't have to lift a finger and he's doctoring, he's moving them, you know, he's doing intensive grazing and moving them moving a hot wire every day, you know, they should come back pretty nice and fat and quiet too and yeah i'm pretty pretty excited to see what they look like in the fall.
0: So for 90 cents a day, and you're saying that that's below market value for for your area, is he then substantially calculating in um, the holistic part for his fields? Is he
1: able to give a deal to people because he's valuing the nutrients and the holistic grazing that he's able to get out of these cows? So I don't know how much land that he actually owns. I think he has developed a reputation and relationships in his area where he will improve fertility in people's, even in people's annual cropland by by grazing. Hmm. And so, you know, he when he does a pass through for a couple of years, or I, I'm actually not entirely sure if it's one year deals with people or multi-year deals, but, you know, he puts that land in better shape than it came to him. And so, you know, he must have his economics figured out where he, he has enough of a reputation and a following in his local area that, that he's able to get the land for the right price. So he can do 90 cents a day. And you know, you can really improve stocking rates when you do the intensive grazing and and you know move a hot wire every day. You can certainly get more animals per acre grazed on it too. So that, that improves your economics.
0: Hmm, interesting. So right. I think
1: he has 14 1400 head is what I think I saw. He said, So I I sent 225 of that. Oh so, wow. Well. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So you're seeing around, what, 17, 18% of his uh, of his total uh, grazing uh, cows. So that's pretty
1: good. That's a lot. Hmm. Yeah. oh no, it will be, I mean, that's a good chunk to try somebody the first year, I guess. But, yeah. you know, he's, uh, he seems to, he's been doing it for a long time. So I'm, I'm pretty confident in it. So yeah, okay. it's, uh, it'll 12, be good. 12,000
0: Facebook followers. I mean, that's, when I clicked on his page. and like, holy smokes, <laughs> what's going yeah, on Yeah,
1: he, <laughs> he goes and does, I mean, COVID has stopped it the past 12 months but he you know he'll go and put on you know talks and seminars around the world as far as right. i know you know, especially throughout north america and uh you know he's quite active with different uh you know the different research groups for for that alberta has and yeah it's he's he's an interesting guy for sure hmm, cool maybe, maybe maybe hopefully a future podcast guest I, yeah uh, thinking about that he could it'd be an interesting uh, interesting conversation with him for sure Yeah, that's a good idea.
0: Well, maybe if he's he's doing seminars, maybe he's charging, so I'll have to rework the budget. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you bet.
1: Yeah, so yeah, that's uh, not something that's not something a dairy has. Your your days are pretty, I guess you got seeding and, and harvesting get a little bit busier, but you don't have these big, these big weeks of, you know, getting cows out to pasture. That's a Usually a fairly stressful moment and processing calves and branding and all that sort of stuff that goes along with it.
0: Yeah, we're uh, we're consistent. We're uh, dad always says if if it's boring on the farm, things are going good. So we look forward to our boring days. But we got our seeding done. We got all our corn done quite a while ago, uh, May first. We were done corn seeding and uh, got all of our air seeding done. We waited. We waited with some barley. We always separate our barley up so that we get some stuff early well hopefully for grain but if not then if if we get a dry june then at least we got some some barley in on the, with the spring runoff and then we'll wait till kind of late may so we just got to done seeding a couple of days ago we'll wait till late may to seed more barley silage uh in case it rains later on in the season It'll kind of split up our risk management that way and we'll seed canola in between so we got that all in we uh did get some frost last week which sucked in a, lot of, a lot of alberta got frost but uh our corn got nipped a little bit, so the plastic definitely helped protect most of the corn crop. There were some places where it had blown off or uh, come through and, and it got touched a little bit worse, but I think for 95% or 97% of the corn crop will make it a healthy return. And we've maybe lost maybe a week in, in gains just because of the leaves, some of the, the first leaves burning off, but that was a crazy night, like corn under the plastic. I'm still fairly confident it can handle like minus three for an hour or two, but I think we had minus two, three for like six, seven hours, the one night. And and that's just, I mean, there's not much that can handle that. It
1: was pretty crazy how cold it was. Yeah, that's not usual. I, I saw that that night it you know, was minus five. It started, it got below zero at midnight and it didn't, didn't get above zero until 7am. Yeah. I don't think that's like that is this time of year when the days are this long and, you know, I don't know how many people are listening from other countries. but. You know, in Canada, in the, when you're getting to, be the, getting to the solstice, a month away from the solstice, our days are really long and yep. you don't, you don't see that short of nighttime hours have that many hours of frost usually. So No, and we checked the, uh, we checked soil
0: temps that afternoon still. I think it was like, we had, we actually had, and the worst thing was like two or three of these nights in a row. That was the worst part, but we checked soil temperatures the day before or the afternoon of the first real bad frost night. We we're still sitting at like. 28 degrees on these, the film, so it, it, and then that's what we think protects us for the most part. And actually the only real leaves that got burnt were on the taller plants that were touching the film because in the morning I, I walked out there and I think I sent you the video, like the plastic had froze basically. There's icicles underneath the film, but the corn, the corn lowered to the ground was all green and fine. It was just any leaves that at that point were touching the film had froze with the f- film freezing. So um, man, that was crazy. It was just so cold. So.
1: So my experience in covering gardens in the fall yeah that's exactly what happens if you're co- covering your pumpkin or cucumber plants you have to be sure not to let whatever you're covering it with touch the actual leaf because it'll still freeze them yeah so that was probably what happened with your plastic yeah
0: so speaking so, of that we uh we have our our pumpkins are coming out in our, our uh sweet corn plot and our sunflowers they must be way more frost resistant because they are like they're probably six inches tall or eight, inch, eight inches tall, and they're pushing the film already now. Like they're really trying to make a break for it, and they they didn't get nipped at all. So and they would have been the mm-hmm. same size as the corn. So somehow more resistant. I'm not sure, but uh, they are.
1: They're they're doing really good. Be interesting to see. So I I don't have the benefit of a planter with plastic. So my everything I I did was later. I got you know I've got the sweet corn. I've got the the sunflowers and the pumpkins, but I couldn't do a plastic. So my corn is just, just emerging now. Right. I don't have any sunflowers emerging yet. I don't have any pumpkins, but I would expect it pretty quick. So I have to see how that, you know, figures out in the fall compared to your plastic and getting in three weeks earlier than I did or four weeks earlier. Even.
0: Yeah, be really interesting. And then, I mean, the biggest thing too is how our falls are like, now we're fighting frost on May, was it last week? It was like May 21st or 22nd when we had that frost and we could have the same thing September 1st, I mean, that that's kind of the reality of, of central and Northern Alberta is it's not really how many heat units we get is how many frost free days we get. That's what we always joke about. And the last two years have been really good because we haven't gotten frost till late September, early October. But I think on average, like 10 year average is like September 15th. So that's when things really start paying back with the film is when we can get more heat more growing days earlier on than having to wait for the the fall to give us
1: a better window drier years seem to be colder years always you know last year was not a dry year the year before was not a dry year and we had longer frost free days and this yep. year is a drier year and yeah look at that we had a very hard frost you know the 21st or whatever it was 20th of may you know so yeah we might get an early one this fall too it's who knows but but the other two years range.
0: the other two years started dry and then started raining about mid-may and that's kind of the same thing as happening this year because i know you guys are a bit drier but that's in, in general anyway but we were dry up until two weeks ago but we've had two and a half inches in the last 10 days again and there's more rain in the forecast so i think this this year is so far almost playing out the same as the last two years where it started pretty dry because i remember like two years ago we were, we were changing some of our uh, forage rotations because it was, it was started so dry. Like we were sitting more barley silage and, and and looking at the corn and saying, should we up our corn acres? Cause it's not looking like it's going to be a real good year. And then boom, mid May, it started raining and it never really quit.
1: I think you're right on that. This, this year's this year started drier here than it has for a few years. I like, guess yeah, you're right. Too. Yeah. We just didn't have, we did not have snow. Like I, I think I, I don't think I plowed snow this year, this winter. <laughs> no, like, that's weird. Yeah, it's yeah. true. No, that's probably it. So, yeah, and, that, and that's yeah. why we got
0: some winter kill too. I mean, like our, our alfalfa stand really suffered this year because, um, and it was a first year stand. Like last year, we only took two cuts off, and one was basically half canola, but uh, it, it, it we had some serious winter kill this year. Like it, it's a thin, it's a thin stand. So, we did some reseeding there to try and get some more, more, more stand durability in there. But yeah, you could I mean, when you miss that snow, and we didn't have an overly cold winter. We just had that one really bad week. But in, in one week, when you're hitting like wind chills of minus fifty and you got no snow cover, <laughs>
1: the alfalfa doesn't last long. No, oh, that's right. Yeah, we it was a mild winter except for, for yeah, like, a really brutal couple <laughs> yeah. week period there. Yeah, exactly
0: totally true i'd rather have consistently minus 15 and some snow once in a while than to sit at minus four for the whole winter and then get one week of minus 50. <laughs> so you reseeded how how did you do that yeah that uh, was some uh, that was the first night where we got the inch so that afternoon we, we went around 12 o'clock to go look at the stand and we're like man this sucks like we'd already sprayed liquid nitrogen onto it um uh, a couple weeks before and um just, just very spotty. Like The low spots were, seemed pretty good. And then as you kind of climbed up some hills and into some other areas, it was it was really poor. So uh, we called Nutrient and we said, like, hey, can we borrow the Velmar? And just uh, we put a, a Timothy alfalfa blend, like just spread it on top in, in some areas. So we selected areas throughout the field that were poor because we had to work it somehow. So we used our heavy arrows at a very light setting and then only did the, sp- the sparse areas because any heavy seeded, or any heavy stand we would wreck with the harrows. So we just took two tractors out there, two guys, my dad and our uh, our uh, uh, mechanic, and uh, they spread uh, the seed on and then the guys with the hair, heavy harrows came through and just tried to dust it up. And then we got that inch at night. So we hope, we're hoping, and we didn't see anything come up yet this morning when we went to go check, but we're hoping that that works just to kind of boost the stand a little bit.
1: Yeah, that inch of rain afterwards probably helped a lot that can be yeah. That can make any decision look pretty good if you get the right timely rain there
0: oh we looked at it like it was going to cost us a couple thousand dollars for seed and and doing the work and just the value of, of having another ton or a ton and a half per acre is huge so
1: it was kind of a no-brainer as a good gamble i think so i actually had a guy out today that is yeah he's from uh, he has his masters in in forge and, and I can't remember what it's. I say I can't remember, but he, he has his master's in pasture management and forge forge stands, and he went and looked at a few different ones, and he's interested in doing a uh, a project on an old stand, an old hay stand that I have to pre- introduce legumes back into it, without having to actually break it up. And part of part of his plan would be is is you know use cattle to actually. Um, you know you spread it out there then use cattle intensively to use their hooves to churn up the soil and get seed to soil contact. Hmm, cool. but um, he was talking about sanfoin. Have you ever looked or at that, that as a legume? I actually don't know much about it, but it gets higher durability than alfalfa less bloat ca- capacity for a dairy It might not be something you guys look at, but that's that's what he wants to use and I haven't I haven't looked into it too much yet, but that's what he was promoting. How do you spell that? Sand and then P H O. I think S just an N, no D. Sand foin. But uh, it's, you know, and I asked why why aren't people using sand foin here if it's a, such a uh, miracle legume for, for this. Yeah. He actually had no answer. He goes, I don't know. People should be. So people listening yeah. out there, do, do some research on sand foin because I think that's what I'm going to be doing some research on over the summer and maybe using some.
0: Yeah, I, uh, our farm's definitely like a, a risk-taking farm, but it's still like when you when we start hearing of things that have never been done before, it's uh, it's always a little bit of a yellow flag where you get like, well, there's maybe a reason why people do, don't do this. But that being said, I did ask my pioneer rep if he could get me some cotton seed today, so because I found really? out that cotton seed only needs 2,208 units, <laughs> so we're still way short of that, and I don't think I can grow it under the film. But man, if I could grow some cotton seed
1: here, that would be perfect. So cotton seed is an oily seed to add into it or what? Very effective fiber source, like very
0: effective, high energy fiber source, but it it kills you on freight. Like you can get it out of the States. I've seen some dairy farms feed it actually here, but you're buying fluff, right? So you can only pack so much fluff in a container. So you just have no weight. I don't think
1: I've ever heard anybody growing cotton north of the (laughs) 49th, (laughs) probably north of probably north of i don't know what i mean north of nebraska like yeah, I when, remember, I but... the,
0: when i did the research today i uh, it said that 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 it's grown in texas and like louisiana but some farms in oklahoma were trying it so i figured if you're if you're in oklahoma you're almost in northern alberta <laughs> so... yeah, yeah i've seen it snow in oklahoma we're good <laughs> yeah exactly i've seen it snow in texas that was a couple of years ago that was really bad for the dairy industry down there but uh yeah, I seen it, I seen it once at a farm here, but we like it just doesn't work on freight. It just absolutely doesn't work. So but it was and it kind of started because I seen this guy on Twitter or maybe it was TikTok, and he had uh, ten brand new John Deere cotton pickers lined up for eleven million dollars, he said, like C260s, I think they were. And uh, they're like a specialized combine basically for cotton picking. And uh, and then I remembered that we had uh, seen it on a dairy farm before, and we're always trying to get more feed quality into the cows or lower our cost of our rations. So I said, well, do some research on it, but yeah, 2,200 heat units, I, I doubt it's going to be possible to do, but we'll see. It's
1: always fun to ask. Yeah, no doubt. That's really cool. Right on. So I have, uh, I, I got to ask you a question here. Maybe some listeners will have it, uh, get some value out of it. So my, my corn, this is my first year growing corn, and it is just emerging. Mm-hmm. How often do you do a Roundup pass on your your silage corn? Um, I would say as needed. So we just just uh, like we
0: have agronomists, like we're not uh, we're starting to learn lots, but we we still like have an agronomist from uh, well, I guess both Pioneer and Nutrient that do field field checks for us, but and, and they'll basically determine uh, um, uh, what's needed and when it's needed, but uh, and did you see, you didn't see a uh, pre-emergent herbicide, did you? I did not. No. So you probably will do one or two at least. Um, uh, and then depending on what type of, uh, weeds you start getting, uh, into the crop, you might add a partner or something in there with it. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what we've done. So one or two passes around it, just depending on the crop and depending on the year, if you get lots of rain, you're going to get more germination out of your weeds as well. So you might get a second weave in there. But it all depends on the, you know the crop and the, and the, and the weather, definitely. Like we seed we seed all of our crop with atrazine um, because we have the plastic, so we can't get there with roundup on time. So we need something that can that can do some harm to the weeds while we're waiting for the film to break open. It's, it's been one of our more consistent problems over the last four years doing the film. Like once we learned how the seeder and everything worked, the, the application worked pretty good the soil tillaging we learned within two years, kind of how we are supposed to do it, but the weeds have been a consistent problem. So what we're finding is underneath the plastic, it's like the, the temperature climate like symbol or represents like Brazil, basically. Like if I should just go down to Brazil and ask them how they're doing weed control, because that's what my plastic is like. And then outside, it's just Western Canada, you just don't, you just, it's the same environment, right? It's outside the film. So spraying the entire feed, field as we seed I basically need two different types of chemical or two different rates. So that's always been our problem. We've always laid down herbicide on like an open, no film rate. And that broke down way too quick underneath the film. So we had huge weed problems and you just can't get there. So we bought like, uh, yeah, last year we bought a three-point hitch sprayer. It's like a 15-foot little sprayer. And dad would just, whenever there's a section of the field that would break open with plastic, like because of wind or that like certain part
1: of the field, the corn was growing faster, so it broke through. He'd go spray it <laughs> with an so open tractor. Is that uh, film getting broke open by weeds too? Like, no, the, the film won't get broken open early from weeds growing too fast.
0: No, there's no weeds that really are strong enough. Like corn is specially designed that way; that it's a strong plant. It will force the plastic open. There's no real weeds that have stems strong enough. To, uh, to go to go through it, which is kind of even a downside because you'd almost, you'd want something to break it open to get to it. But we found the solution now is we think, so at least so far it looks like it's working because our weeds are actually dying underneath the film this year, is we changed the spray nozzles on our seeder. Uh, so we still spray the same rate outside the film, but we doubled the rate underneath the film. So we get different application rates and that way now we have twice as much chemical going underneath the film because it just breaks down so much faster. And we shouldn't, by doing it this way, we shouldn't have a problem next year with residual, um, uh, because the inside will break down just as fast as the outside because we have less outside. So we're hoping that that will work this year. And if if it does, then we've kind of solved
1: our problem from the last couple of years. Great. Yeah. Well, that's good. That cinco will be uh, very, very appreciative of all your your R&D work for them when they really hit the market hard here in Canada.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, we'll see how that goes. We're really excited about that single uh, layer of film that will really drop the cost on the film and and probably also make weed management a little bit easier because it'll just be less surface area, less acres on each field that are covered by the film. So we'll have to be even less chemical that we have to use. So yeah, there's it's, it's definitely got its benefits. It's been for us a challenge just learning how it works here in Western Canada. So once farmers kind of buy into it, we'll have done lots of the groundwork already for them and, and ha- kind of have a plan in place. Like this is what we would recommend. This is what we would do, but each farmer is their own. A lot of people will ignore us. So they'll, they'll learn the hard way, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what else is new? I, uh, we don't have any topics lined up, but, uh, um, uh, you got anything else?
1: No, we just, we, we were, uh, in need of some rain. We, and we got it and it's going to be amazing to watch things grow. Now it looks (laughs) like we're going to get some, some heat, even over the next couple days. I mean, I think you could, you can probably sit there and watch the corn grow. I would imagine now Mm -hmm. and, and everything. So no, it's, it was a stressful to be honest with you. I was pretty stressed out a week or two ago. Grass was not growing anywhere, you know, feed the feed supply is getting low and the grass isn't growing and things are pretty stressful and you know got an inch and a half of rain on monday um you know that changes things a lot yeah. it was it was good and that takes a lot of stress out of everything so yeah i mean that was a i don't know how you categorize you call it a million dollar rain it was probably a billion dollar rain to be honest with you I mean, it's probably a million dollar rain for most larger size farms and a billion dollar rain for the industry so that's uh, I I was going to send it to you and I, and
0: I haven't and I'll do this after
1: the podcast and for anyone
0: listening look this up because I I don't think it's a joke. So uh the Manitoba premier I think it's Brian Pallister is his name. Yeah. And uh they got rain and they, they must have been dry. I'm not too familiar with their current situation, but I think they were same thing really dry and they got some rain over the weekend as well. And uh he's on a news conference or an interview of some sort and he's he was thanking Everyone involved with the rain, like he he was lit, and he, and he also called it a billion dollar rain, which is nothing wrong with that. But he he and then he re, he doubled down at the end of his interview and again thanked everyone involved for getting the rain. And I was just waiting to see a smirk or something, but nothing was there. Like he literally thanked whoever was involved with the rain.
1: <laughs> it was a very silly interview. You have to definitely look it up. Huh. It's pretty funny, but no. So, well, I saw I saw a calculation. You know, if it if this. Every every inch of rain adds thirty dollars an acre of crop value. Hmm. Until a certain so, point. Yeah, I guess. I mean he didn't get into that. But you know, when you're sitting there dry, if you get an inch of rain during the growing season, it adds thirty. I mean, that's pretty pretty broad spectrum math yeah. equation that he's doing here. But you know, if you take thirty dollars an acre over how many acres there in Western Canada or even Alberta. Yeah, it's billion dollars. That's a billion dollars. That's, a billion, do- that's a billion dollar rating. Right I'm not verifying his numbers but it's, it certainly would have added a lot i mean that, so
0: that was that another question a i had for you like um the last quotes we got and i think it did drop again but last week at one point we were hearing seven dollars and 20 cents for a bushel of barley so i, I haven't mean,
1: heard it quite that high i've certainly heard it right at seven yeah i haven't heard 720 but maybe um, so what's
0: that going to do to the beef industry i mean to my well, eyes
1: i mean the feedlot industry their biggest yeah, it's, it's big headwinds, there's no doubt. I mean, yeah. you know, you're you, you sitting there, I mean, honestly, it, like, over the winter, I was pretty optimistic about the like, the beef cattle industry coming this fall. Mm-hmm. But you start getting some major headwinds like that of, of 720 barley. Uh, I don't know. Like, it just seems like the farmer can never win. I mean, as soon no, as you think... Especially the beef guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, honestly, the beef guy, like... it's. It gets- you know it just constantly. never breaks never breaks out the beef never and and uh, you you know it's got headwinds from from political and environmental which which isn't fair when we, which isn't even true but it doesn't matter I'm not controllable that's, You have no control the, over that yeah that's the perception yeah and then you know you started getting china buying a bunch of feed grains and or just grains in general and uh yeah i mean the grain farmer i i don't even know how I'm sure it was I'm sure these uptick in grain prices were really good for some of the wealthy Saskatchewan grain farmers that did defer their check every year because they have binfuls of of you know crop that's three years old. But for most farmers, I don't know if they took a big advantage of it as the prices maybe indicate lots of them would already had their stuff pre-priced yeah. and they weren't getting, you know, they're not they're not selling $17 canola because they sold it all at twelve or eleven. We still right. have to haul some for eleven seventy five, and that's not a fun trip to town, right? No, <laughs> so, and now, and now, like, have we ever been in a period, I've never been in, I don't ever recall a period of a year where prices have increased so much on everything, like absolutely everything. You can't go buy anything that you're not like, whoa, how, how did that price escalate so much? Whether you're buying a cheeseburger yeah. or buying crop inputs or buying iron, like it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And uh, I know I,
0: we, I, I started tracking with an Excel sheet now like our, our daily costs for, for a lot of different things on the farm and especially feed and stuff and like, yeah, our feed costs went up 15% in the last three months alone. And that's on a diet that's like 50% forage. So 50% is kind of controlled in house and the value hasn't changed yet because I haven't made any new forage. So yeah, 15% increase on feed costs in three months alone. I mean, that's crazy.
1: That's, um, that's tough to and- deal with. And even if you're a beef guy that doesn't need as high energy, let say you're a cow-calf guy and you just need to buy some low quality hay, the cost of transportation is so high that like to get something landed in your yard, it's crazy. Like, so, so I mean, which is the reason I grew corn this year because, you know, okay, corn, you know, maybe costs an extra hundred bucks an acre or so to, to plant, but that, that extra ton—if you get even one extra ton out of corn over anything else—that's a valuable, valuable ton because it costs so much to transport anything any distance. It's—it's it's, you, you can't you can't really buy in feedstock like you could a year or two ago.
0: But then that's interesting that you say that, and I and I, I agree with you. But and and we talked about this a little earlier. It's like trying to how how do we know we're actually profitable, right? Like we talked about how how do we actually benchmark ourselves and judge ourselves looking at our own operation but i like why pioneer reps today when they're all we're doing our corn checks they had a meeting in the morning with with like pioneer alberta or whatever all their alberta reps and they said corn acres were down for the beef guys like significantly
1: so well, while i I would, ma- them, I, <laughs> I would imagine the corn acres are down significantly because they're all planting 17 canola in their mind right right
0: so, yeah so you think that takes a direct hit the beef cow numbers will go down then probably
1: yeah, I don't think it's the fact that oh, I'm going to grow barley instead of corn for my cows. I think it's that I'm just not going to grow forage for my cows. Yeah. Right. That makes and, sense. And, and I look at that. So we planted some wheat this year with the intention of, of silaging that wheat instead of barley. I planted, planted wheat in, re, in replacement of silage barley. Mm. But I'm looking at that. And even if it was barley, I'd probably still be doing the same calculation. Like, why would I silage that? Like, why wouldn't I just take that to finish and harvest it and sell, you know, I don't know what wheat's going to be worth, but, you know, sell $7 or $8 wheat here. Like, and maybe it'll be even worth more than that. I don't know. But like, just have less cows, like trying to figure out what your profitability, you can do a lot of work. And I find I'm especially good at this. Most farmers are. You can work really hard and not make any money, (laughs) and you can stay. You can stay really busy doing a lot of work, and maybe sometimes the easier way is the more profitable way.
0: Yeah, sit down in the office and spend an hour with a piece of paper and pen and do some math. Like that's one of the questions going to be. Did you ever work? Do you you work on the decision to? and And I. Think most likely you're gonna be you're gonna be correct that selling eight nine dollar wheat is more profitable than growing beef. But do you ever work backwards and say, "Hey, look, one kilo or one pound of beef needs X amount of grams of wheat." Um, do you ever do you ever look at that way? Work backwards and say, "Hey, how much beef can I grow off an acre of wheat, and is it gonna be more profitable than uh, than selling the wheat?"
1: Yes, yeah, I mean that's a, ultimately exactly what you what I'll end up doing yeah. here at some point over the summer, as I you know especially. Well, I mean, it needs to happen regardless. You know, I've kind of been sitting here thinking in my head, okay, well, if the corn crop's really good, I'll definitely do that. But that should happen regardless. That yeah. should happen regardless. I shouldn't be sitting decision. there blind. And, and you know, you, you get stuck in this rut of feeling good about a big pile of silage. Like that makes you feel comfortable, right? Yeah. And it shouldn't matter. If that's not the profitable thing to have, if having a big pile of silage isn't the profitable thing to have, then it should not be sitting there. Yeah. And I should, I should just have less cattle and maybe it's just easier to put that wheat in the bin and have a, a custom trucker come in and haul it out and collect my cheque and take it a little easier in the winter.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then maybe next year you can seed some more acres of wheat with that fancy new air drill. Oh, yes. we bet.
1: <laughs> no, it's, I mean, how long is this going to last? Nobody knows that. Yeah. But, you know, this, this. as soon as China quits buying, it could just crash, right? And then it could really crash hard. I mean, yeah. I assume maybe, maybe it won't. I don't know. Hey, everyone says you go buy anything right now. It's COVID pricing, whether you, know, especially if you're buying iron or something, right? I don't think it's COVID pricing. I think this is the way it is now. Everything took a 20, 30% jump. That is what it is. That's crazy. And it, and it
0: may go down five to 10%, but it'll never come, come down the way it was. And that's just how it works. Um, uh, on, on your point about China buying, you're definitely right. But then on the other hand, like there have been, a couple of, of news state uh, announcements in the last couple of weeks of, I think one, if not two new canola crushing plants being built in Western Canada. So while, and I don't know the, the figures, but I think that we still export a whole lot of uncrushed canola to China. And I, I it's probably positive as a, a somewhat of a canola grower that a lot of processing will stay in house and we'll be able to sell a finished product. And then for me and you canola meal, hopefully gets cheaper and uh, we have some more more of that product available within our own provinces
1: yeah well and there's and there's other things happening too like in our our little area especially right beside me is you know straw board and bio pellet plants and and all these incentives you know the, there's two straw plants going in yeah pretty close to me that is going to increase the price of straw wheat straw and barley straw and and bring you and even change that economics further, I mean, you still got fertility to talk about, but, but if I can harvest, you know, let's say you can harvest an 80 bushel wheat or barley crop, plus you can sell a bale of straw, you know, say you can sell, you know, 80 to a hundred dollars an acre of straw value. Yeah. $30 a ton. Yeah. Like that changes things again. Right. And and all these things are headwinds for the cattle industry. right? <laughs> Like, and because the, the biopel, the one plant is going to be making biomass and, and generating electricity. Yeah. They're going to be burning straw to and, and selling electricity to the grid. And I've been watching the Facebook and social media posts about it and stuff, you know, looking at the power pool price right now, saying it's, it's economical for them to burn straw to generate power. Yeah. Like, you know, those, those things are all big deals and those change it for cattle for sure.
0: And, and and lots of those companies then receive sub, sub, subsidies as well and so then it's kind of like and it's not in with malicious intent but it's your your government is then kind of subsidizing industries that make it tougher for the for
1: certain sectors of the ag industry to, to function and, and and again with prices oh, we, we've too, been like, doing that we've been doing that with ethanol for a long time yeah yeah it's true that's it's an true. artificial value to wheat and feed grains you know that, that props up corn and, and wheat Prices, um, you know, the ethanol mandated ethanol portion in, in gasoline.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. And then the other thing is when when grain prices are really good and the grain farmers flourishing, the livestock farmers also lose because a lot of your input costs go up. On just that seems like fertilizer is almost connected to the margin of profit that's in the grain crop, right? Like as soon as canola goes up, all of a sudden our fertilizer is more money and our seed is more expensive. Everyone takes a cut of the pile, well, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that it's it's the fact that the livestock guys still need that fertilizer still need that seed but we haven't seen the same increase in profitability
1: right so then it becomes tougher for for those guys well and that takes us full circle to the very first topic of this podcast is (laughs) is heading up to where i sent those heifers to the more holistic grazing where he is improving soil fertility that's his mandate he he you know he is he is managing soils with cattle right cattle mm-hmm. are just a tool but you know he's building soil building fertility building all the the microorganisms and everything that that's that are needed to fix nitrogen and and do things to improve soil fertility without artificial or synthetic fertilizers so that's going to be more of a thing i think cattle guys especially beef guys well dairy i supposed to, but you're not. You're going to get priced out of the market of buying synthetic fertilizer. You're going to get priced out of the market of a lot of inputs. So it's going to take a bit of a shift.
0: Yeah, it's true. We actually got our manure samples back today, and uh, there's there's real value in our uh, in our in our in our liquid manure and our solid manure that we separate because we separate that on our farm. And uh, we actually one of our corn crops we actually didn't put any artificial or synthetic fertilizer on the field. It's all organic uh, oh, really? manure that went on there. Yeah.
1: Hmm? Yeah. Got and order. how do you, so when you soil test, does it pick up, I, I don't find soil tests pick up the, the manure fertility as much as they pick up the synthetic fertilizer fertility.
0: But we individually test the manure, like we send the manure away.
1: Yes, yes, for sure. And so you just, you didn't care about what was actually the soil sample. You just knew what you want to put on for for fertility and you knew what your manure was.
0: <laughs> well. <laughs> Technically that's how it's supposed to work. Like we ideally get our manure sample back before we seed, but that didn't happen this year. So we can't okay. really, so you're, you're guessing, but normally it's pretty consistent products. So we know year over year, but we do send a manure sample away every year, but we, ha- and we have now started soil sampling in the last two, three years, every single fall in the exact same spot. So we're starting to build kind of a, a history and some analytics on, on what's going on out there, but, um, dad just has a fairly good idea of what the manure is and then and then accounts for it but we ended up getting over 300 pounds of n on our cornfield which is usually what we want to be around but we didn't use a single pound of synthetic fertilizer so i mean that that manure packs a heavy punch that's a big
1: deal yeah, yeah. and that's the theory yeah exactly i mean you you have to be able to take advantage of those things when you're in the cattle business for sure and we and that's we good. direct inject our
0: liquid manure. i mean we, we have very little evaporation happening with that because so we're injecting directly injecting that into the soil and then with our uh, solid manure it's drier because we're pressing the liquid out um uh, that's much more of an organic material health healthy uh, version of the manure for the the for the ground because we're only sitting at around 10 pounds of n on the on the solid manure but then a lot higher on the phosphorus so it's it's pretty good organic material for the soil yeah
1: very interesting but
0: that's still all new to me i haven't uh, dug too deep into soil health and those things that's probably still coming, but I focus more first on the corn and growing good crop for the cows and then, and then seeing how
1: the soil can aid us in that down the road. So. Well, and those soil health is something you can have a custom, you know, you can have your agronomist come in yeah. and give you a, you don't have to be an expert in that. You know, no. I think, no. I think when you raise livestock, you have to be a lot more knowledgeable in live in livestock than a grain farmer has to be knowledgeable in soil health, because I think you can, <laughs> You can hire experts to give you advice on soil health easier than you can,
0: and they might say the same about us about cows. So who knows? maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. All no, you I agree. agree and, for and the game farmers
1: listening, don't don't get too mad at me. Yeah, I just think, the, you, have, I just think you have an easy life. The biggest thing that we uh,
0: we always say, like a good manager has a good team around them, right? So. We, we take that to heart. Like we know a f- quite a few things really well, but there are a lot of things we, we barely know. And so we make sure we have the right people in place and that's almost more important than knowing the actual topic.
1: Right. So. Oh, absolutely. It is. Cause you, you cannot be an expert in enough. No, you shouldn't be. There's just no way you can be. Yeah, exactly. Good. Well, that, I think
0: that's around 45 minutes. So we're probably starting to ramble. So let's do our WTFs and then we'll wrap it up.
1: You betcha. So we got a, a good or a bad item for WTF what the farm and do uh, you want to go first Jake with your with your good or bad item for the week?
0: Yeah, sure. I'll take bad. I'll uh, I'll take the frost last week. That was highly unnecessary. Um, uh, did not did not need that. So it's probably in the long run won't affect us too much, but I just kind of put a damper on having all those corn acres seeded so quickly and uh, and then getting the first First few leaves that were out there nicked by frost, so that was kind of disappointing. So, what about you? Let's cheer it up a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'll take the good. I mean, it's it's the rain. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, you know the the frost for me. Everything in mine was still underground, and now with the rain, it's all coming up. And you know, I was I was getting pretty I was getting pretty stressed out about grass and, and summer pasture. And you know, an inch and a half doesn't make the whole year, but boy oh boy, that was a a very needed inch and a half. So yeah, it was a good deal for us.
0: Go figure, hey, two farmers and and their ups and downs are both the weather. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll do some more planning now that Lance has got a little bit more time with with the cows on pasture. So we'll we'll do some more planning. We'll get some guests back on the on the show, and just want to thank all of our listeners for listening today and and sticking with us.
1: Yeah, thank you, and uh, you bet we'll get on a regular schedule here.
0: All right, we'll see you
1: guys later.